It's the last week of our series. Week five already, can you believe that? It's gone kind of fast, I feel like. But uh, it's week five, we've been doing Godisms. You know, the, the, the whole premise of the series is that there are things that we say that have some, some good intentions. We're trying to do good, but what we say has some really harmful theology in it, okay? And so in that, the question is kind of, so what's so wrong uh, with these isms? And um, what, what's at the heart of it is this? The way that we think about God, it, it's what kind of affects, it's what kind of channels the way that we act towards God. And of course, the way that I think and act about God is going to affect the way that I think and act towards who? You. If I believe that to be a Christian that I am called to, to have intimate personal relationship with God only, and that my ultimate priority is to minister to Him, for Him to minister to me, and for me to be in my prayer closet, and for me to have this personal, isolated relationship with God, I'm sorry, but you're not a priority. If I've got time, then sure. We can hang out. Sure, that's fine. But you're not a priority. But if I understand that to be a Christian is not only individual, but it's also corporate. It's not only me and God, but it's us and God. And it's me and God, and it's me and you. And this is what it means to be a Christian. It changes things. If I believe that to be a Christian is to love God with everything, which is a personal choice. It's a personal interaction with God. But if I love God with everything, it means I love my neighbor in the same fashion. And so what was once a personal, individual, isolated relationship becomes a corporate relationship. If I truly connect to God in a real way, that means I will truly connect to you in a real way also. That's a very different understanding. And so in all these isms, we have to kind of with unpack these things because what's inside of these isms is kind of the way we secretly really think about God. It's really the way that we act towards God. And what's harmful is, again, if we have the wrong image of who God is, we have to make sure that we change it quickly. And again, as Christians, the one thing that we, we always have to kind of reorient ourselves to is that we as Christians believe the ultimate, how you put that, the ultimate image of God, the ultimate place that we can go and say, God looks like this is Jesus. In Jesus, God is he's revealed. He's made clear. The, the, he's brought into focus. Have you guys ever been to the eye doctor before? I see lots of glasses and not many hands. Okay, you have been there, right? And so they go, how's that? Is that better? Uh-uh. How's that? Is that better? Right? Yes? Okay, the scriptures are like that. You're going, I can kind of make it out. I can kind of see it. It's still blurry. Is that better? Is that better? Is that better? Oh, Jesus. Oh, that's what it's supposed to look like. That's what I'm supposed to be seeing. And so we understand that Jesus is the clearest picture. God looks like Jesus. And so these isms, sometimes these isms are tied up in some wrong understandings of Scripture. Sometimes, you know, uh, who knows where they come from. But what happens is these isms, they blur the image of God for us. And if they blur the image of God for us, it also blurs the way that we act towards God and it blurs the way that we act towards each other. Um, one of the obvious ones is this, Father God. Some of you had great fathers. So when you hear Father God, it's a very easy way for you to orient to God. Oh, he's like my dad, and I liked my dad. He was gentle, he was loving, he was kind, he was always there for me. We had, you know, and this great connection. For others of you, either your father was absent in your life or he wasn't a great dad. So when you think Father God, the way that you orient is not the best. 
It's harmful. It's hurtful. And so for you, there's unpacking. You have to kind of go into that and find all the things that are wrong, the things that don't line up with God and Jesus, with God and the Scriptures, and begin to kind of bring that image into clarity. If that makes sense at all. So this morning, we have an ism. The last one of the series. You guys ready for it? Man, okay. I know we won by one point, but I think you're sad because you, you want us to get blown out so that, so that he'd get fired that night, correct? You're like, no, they've got to win again. Oh, you, you, you are poor fans. Okay, come on now. Okay, here's the ism for today. Too blessed to be depressed. Too blessed to be depressed. Now, when I first heard these, you know, I was young, I was taught, and I was in, in churches. Now, we didn't have Facebook back then, no Twitter, no hashtags. This is a phenomenal hashtag by pastors. I see it all the time, and I love them, and I've used it before too, so I'm guilty too, okay? Hashtag too blessed to be depressed. Picture with their perfect family. You guys see our new pictures? In the pictures, everything looks great, doesn't it? All oh, that family looks so perfect and happy. What you don't know is like Rachel's going, Bah-ah! that's why she's only in like five pictures. Yeah. <laughs> it looks perfect. Ah, that's not really what's happening. Smile, I'm going to pinch you and spank your butt. That's reality, right? But well, too blessed to be depressed. Mercy. Yeah. This ism is one of the ones that kind of gets under my skin a little bit just because it lends itself to being plastic, right? It lends itself to the selfie. Everything's great right now. What you don't know is what's going on everywhere else in our lives, correct? Everything looks perfect. God is so good and faithful and loving. What you don't know is that there's this happening and there's this going on. There's certain certain things that we kind of push out of the frame, what you guys don't know about those shots we took downtown in Fort Smith, we had some really sweet, loving, interesting-looking people who were coming to us. Um, how would you put this? Uh, making the environment a little bit interesting. How about that? Yeah? And so I'm sitting here, and so, and so we're trying to take pictures. going, eh, you know, and I'm like, okay, I've got these women and children, and I'm about to jump up from my pose right? But you don't see that in the picture, correct? And in this ism, there's a temptation for us. It's, we're too blessed to be depressed. There's a temptation here to be plastic. Now, let's assume the best for a few minutes, okay? What are we trying to say when we say too blessed to be depressed? What is the best case scenario? Like, what are we really trying to communicate to someone? Let's assume this. We're trying to say God is so good that we don't have time to be stressed or worried. How about that? Can you say amen to that? Come on, you guys are like way too scared to say that nowadays. God is so good to us. We're just so overwhelmed with the good blessings of God that nothing, man, I don't even have time to acknowledge anything that's not perfect. How's that sound? Does that sound good? Okay. Can't get you for that anymore, right? Now, the appeal here, the, you know, the reason that we want to say this, the reason that we want to use all these isms it helps a very complicated life get simple. It helps us kind of deal with, reason with the things in our life that don't fit. So what's, what's the appeal of saying this is that, you know what? What I want to happen, I want life to be like this. If I just do the right things, then good things happen to me. 
that sound appealing? If I just do the right things, then good things happen to me. Now, if I, you know, if I mess up and do the wrong things, I understand if the wrong things happen to me. We want life to be that simple. If I just do the right things, then blessings will happen. If I do the wrong things, bad things happen. Who here, when you grew up in church, were basically taught that? If you just obeyed God, you, you stayed away from sin, everything will work out fine. I mean, and like you'd be too blessed to be depressed, right? And, and all those sinners are the ones who are going to have all of the junk in their lives, right? Yeah, because they're sin. Their lives are going to fall apart. Then you got older, and you got older, and you kept looking around, and you kept saying, okay, well, I know these people are sinners. I know they're sinners. Oh, they just got a brand new vehicle. Oh, he just got a promotion. Oh, they, oh, they just got married. They look perfect. And you're going, this, this isn't quite, mm. And then you're trying your best, and then all of a sudden, you just can't catch a break, and something happens, and then something else happens, and you start going, God, what am I doing wrong? Have you ever felt that before? What am I doing wrong? Because I thought the way it's supposed to work is if I do the right things, then you're going to bless me. Sound good? Okay. Here's what we're really saying. When we say this, what we're really saying is this. We're trying to say, you know, that God's so good to us that we don't have time to be, you know, to be bothered, to be worried. Here's what we're actually saying. Well, we're actually saying the, the, the hidden message in this ism is this. Only good things happen to those who please God by doing the right things. Only good things, meaning if you are doing the right things with God, then he is going to make sure that only blessings fall on your head. Oh, oh yeah, blessings, oh, blessings. Sound good? What's the inverse of this? So if I'm being blessed in my life right now, if I have you know, the finances I want, if I, if I have good friends, if I have good, good hobbies, a good job, okay? If I have these different things, if I am being blessed, then I am to assume what? That I'm doing the right things. Sound safe? What am I to assume when something bad happens to me? Uh-oh. Well, I lost my job. Someone I love got sick. Someone I love died. Well, then I must be doing it wrong. See how that works there? Have you, ever fe- have you ever found yourself in that place where it's almost like you're tracing your steps? Where did I go wrong? What did I do to cause God to smite me? Now, who's read the Greek mythology before? Any Greek mythology fans at all? Okay, have you ever watched Hercules? There we go. We, we got it. Now, how do those gods behave? Somewhat unpredictable, but the one thing that we do know is this. If we would just make them happy, they will do good things for us. If I would just do the right things, then Zeus the thunder god won't throw down this lightning bolt. I saw Thor the other night. Sorry about the thunder god thing. It's in my head. It's in my head. Which, by the way, he's, he's thunder god, but he has lightning. Right? He doesn't use thunder ever. Why is he the thunder god? Right? Is that not weird to you? Okay, whatever. Call him lightning god, you know? Whatever. All right, that's fine. 
It's going to work in the second service, I promise. Um, and so in this whole thing, if you just do the right things, then the God won't smite you. If you worship in the right way, if you give in the right things, the God will not smite you. Um, my family tends to be very proud of some of their heritage, which is Hawaiian, and they love to just talk about, you know, Ohana spirit and all these great things of being Hawaiian, all these great ways of living and moving, but there's something wrong with being Hawaiian. Our ancestors believed that when something went wrong, the gods were angry. So what did we do? We took our children to the volcano and threw them in the volcano. <laughs> I'm glad you're laughing at my ancestors throwing their children into a volcano. <laughs> so that's what... <laughs> Oh, goodness. So that's the kind of humor you guys have. I got it. And so this is how they understood things. Okay, if things are going bad, we got to make them happy. We did something wrong. The volcano's about to erupt. We got to go throw children in it. Sounds really out of there. Well, we see something in the Old Testament as well. Uh-oh, God's angry. That means someone has to die. Let's go get some blood for him. Are you happy now? Oh, okay. Sorry, sorry. You want us to burn the body. Man, that smoke must smell really good to you. It smells pretty terrible to us. Have you guys ever smelled like flesh burning before? Okay. When you smell it, do you go, mmm? I want that in my car every day, right? No, absolutely not, right? But for some reason, God loved this smell, right? Old Testament language, right? The aroma of the incense, it was pleasing to him. You know what's funny about that? That's something that, that other tribes in this area have been doing to their gods far before the Israelites had. So they're going, well, that's the way their gods work. I wonder if ours works that way. If I just throw my baby in this volcano, maybe God will be happy. And it sounds so primitive. Does that sound primitive to you? He's angry, so, you know, we had to shed some blood to make him happy, correct? But we behave the same way. We still look around at each other going, well, they're blessed, and they look like they're doing really good stuff. You know, that marriage looks terrific. They look like they're really good Christians. That's why he got the job and the promotion. That's why they got the money. That's why they got the perfect pictures downtown. What's really going on behind this? It sounds silly, but this is what we do. This is how we live. We look around at the people who we want to be like, and we begin to say, oh, see, look. That perfect couple, they're doing things the perfect way. Surely that's why they're blessed, because they're doing things the right way. And surely these people who are suffering, that's because they're doing things the wrong way. And so we, when we say this about God, it begins to paint this odd picture of who he is. And when we begin, we begin to paint this picture of who God is, we begin to put his stamp on things that were never his stamp. So when someone begins to suffer, we say, oh, look, it's because you're sinning. If you would just have faith the right way, you wouldn't suffer anymore. See, the disciples thought the same thing. They went to Jesus and said, hey, look, this tower fell on people, and they all died. Surely they were all sinners, right? And he goes, is that really what you think? Sorry, AV team, I, I didn't give you guys this verse. I'm going to go to Matthew 5, verse 44. You'll have to pull out your phones or your Bibles because it won't be on the screen. Matthew 5, verse 44. Here's what Jesus says. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who harass you so that you'll be acting as children of your Father who is in heaven. He makes the sun rise on both the evil and the good 
and sends rain on both the righteous and the unrighteous. Just pause right there. I understand that for us, rain and sun, it's not a big deal. Um, who's been to California recently? Okay. Drought is a big deal over there, right? Rain is a huge, like when it rains, they freak out because they don't have much of it, right? It's, it's, it's valuable. Now, in this part of the world, it's also very, extremely valuable. Rain is seen as a blessing from God. Have you guys ever heard of a rain dance before? If we would just make God happy, he'd make the rain come on us. If I dance right, you know, he don't got no rain because he ain't got no dance moves. That's the problem. That's what it is. <laughs> kind of weird image of God is that. No, no, no. Mm, that's a five. No, sorry. He don't get any rain. Oh, that's a good move. I like that one. I like that guy better than the one who throws children into, in, in, into volcanoes. But. but it's the same concept. See, rain is seen as a blessing. It's seen as God sending his favor on people. And see, Jesus even nails us. He says, guess what? It's God. It is God. It's God who what? Who allows blessing to come on what? Both the righteous and the unrighteous. It's the sun who rises, meaning they get to live another day. Okay? It's God who allows both the sinner and the righteous to live an extra day. It's not just, it doesn't work that way. It's not that simple, is what he's trying to say. If I get the formula right, then everything works out. And if I get it wrong, then bad things happen to me. So the question always comes to my head with these isms. Where does this ism come from? You know, I'm like, when do we start thinking this? And um, I've had the blessing to be involved in different kind of uh, churches, different denominations. Each church has a different formula for blessing. For example, if I tithe and attend church, I will receive a blessing. At a different churches, if I spend extra hours fasting and praying, I will get blessed. At a different church, it's if I just don't sin, if I avoid all these sins, and I try to my, I'll use all my energy and effort to be sinless, and then I read the Bible a lot, I'll be blessed. At other churches, it's if I speak the Word of God over my life, and I make steps of action to, to step into what I'm speaking, then I'm blessed. But are you seeing how all these churches have different formulas? right? And what these formulas are, are ways to understand. If I do the rain dance right, the rain comes. If I do it wrong, it doesn't come. If I throw my children in the volcano, it's all good. If I take this animal and I cut it the right way, and I put it on the fire the right way, then God is happy with me. But then, of course, Jesus comes and messes this whole thing up. He comes and ends the entire sacrificial system. We don't have time to go into that. And we have this line from, from God that even goes to David. Burnt, offer, burnt offerings do I not desire. This was never my intention. This is not the way God works. There's no formula to get right. It's not that simple. The other thing that kind of goes into this understanding of God is the wrong, wrong definitions of what it is to be blessed, right? Too blessed to be depressed. How do you say this? 
You hardly ever see someone who's sitting in like a cardboard box for a home going, too blessed to be depressed, right? That's not the image we get, right? The image is that to be blessed, meaning for God to allow rain to fall on you, for God to be happy with you, means that you are going to be financially prosperous, you're going to marry a very attractive person, correct? How envious are you of the person you married, a really ugly person? You go, oh man, they must be doing the right thing. Someone's living right, (laughs) marry that ugly person. (laughs) That's not how you think, right? You're envious of someone who has something you want. Ooh, that person's very true. (laughs) What kind of formula do I got to do to get that? Come on, be honest with me. Don't, Don't even. Don't even do that. Don't even do that. Come on now. When you were growing up, you weren't, you weren't having a picture of someone really ugly going, Lord, I just, I pr- please, Lord, I want my spouse to be as ugly as possible. Please, Lord. Weird-looking toes and odd-looking knees. I want my spouse to be really, really messed up. That's not what you were doing. You're going, you had this perfect image, and you're saying, if I would just do the right things, God will give me what I want. Formula, correct? Come on now, be honest with me. Whenever you were 16, you weren't going, Lord, if you would just bless me with being absolutely dirt poor. I don't want to have any money ever. I want to have to live in a cardboard box and just rely on everything from you every second of the day. That's what I want. Was that what you were praying for? If you raise your hand, I'm about to... That's not what you did, because we have a different understanding of of blessed. What we have is a secular, meaning a non-Christian, we have a secular definition of what it means to be blessed. What we're saying is, if I'm blessed in the world, I'm too blessed to be depressed. Now, there's nothing wrong with being successful, with with being healthy, with being wealthy, with being happily married. These are great things. And we do know that all good and perfect things come from the Father above, and we do thank God for it. Great! But there's more to it. Okay? Now, why can't we say this? If you guys have your Bibles, go to Luke 22. Luke 22, verse 42. We're going to read about the blessed life. Luke 22 Verse 42, here's Jesus speaking. He said, Father, if it's your will, take this cup of blessing away from me. Oh, wait, no, I'm sorry, he didn't say that. Take this cup of suffering away from me. However, not my will, but your will be done. Then an angel appeared to him and strengthened him. He was in anguish and prayed even more earnestly. Hold up, pause right there. An angel shows up to strengthen Jesus, and then guess what happens? Oh, he's blessed and highly favored again. Amen? Guys, prayer answered. An angel showed up. He's all good to go. Wait, no. What's it say? He was in anguish and prayed even more earnestly. Oh, man. His sweat became like drops of blood falling on the ground. When he got up from praying, he went to the disciples. He found them asleep. But he said, too blessed to be depressed. No, Jesus, the Son of God, was overcome by grief, by joy. Had that spirit on him, right? He broke into a spirit run right there in the... No? 
Oh, mercy. Overcome by grief. Sorry, Jesus. Hashtag too blessed. How about some more examples? How about the apostles? Do you know how many apostles were crucified? Ah, okay, how about this? Which apostle was not crucified? John. That's a good percentage right there. One made it out. He, he was blessed and highly favored, that guy. Because he was the Lord's beloved. So he had it all right, just like David. See, he, he found his way to God's heart, right? Like That's what it was? Oh, wait. He was abandoned and he died alone on an island. That's a good way to go. Starvation. Loneliness. I'm sure that he was not depressed at all. He's just blessed. He's just floating around on this just, 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 just cloud of happiness. Lord, so thankful that you would just abandon me alone on an island to die slowly, slow, painful death. Thank you for being so faithful to me. I'm sure that's what he was praying. Amen? No? What's the hashtag to, to John? How do you say that? The blessed life. How about that, right? Here's John on the island. Hashtag, the blessed life. Yep. How about Stephen? How about Stephen? We see Stephen. He's this amazing example of, of like what it means to be a young follower, believer of Jesus. He seems to do everything right, so much so that he gets promoted. He has all his attention because he's, he's such this amazing man of God. And guess what God blesses him with? Stone to death. Life goals, right? Right, guys? Hashtag life goals. <laughs> Thank you. Well, okay, what about non-apostles? Because, Pastor Devin, that was just Jesus and the apostles. It's important for them to set an example of blah, blah, blah. But we get to enter into, the, into all the blessings. How about the first 350 years of Christianity? 350 years, that's a long time. Think, 350 years. It's almost five generations. Children, their children, their children, and their children. 350 years. And they just had favor everywhere. They just, it just rained all over them. You know, they get caught and tortured. Their children were taken from them. They would get crucified, sometimes crucified and let on fire. Sometimes thrown to wild animals. That's, you know, that's an exotic adventure. Correct? Thrown to wild animals. You know, lions, bears, oh my, right? Someone must be living right <laughs> while they sing as they're torn to shreds. But wait, is the formula wrong? They didn't have enough faith. They weren't praying right. They must have sinned. They stopped tithing. Something must have happened, right? No? Where's the formula off? What's wrong with this picture? What's interesting about this, this is actually the time in history. These first 300 years are the time when the church grew the fastest. It was precisely the way that the, the world, the Roman world, it's the way that they would see these Christians being suffering and being tortured, being dragged to die, being ripped apart, and the way that they had hope. It touched them and inspired them. And the church just continued to grow, so much so that there's a Caesar. 
that actually came about. And he realized that the worst thing to do to Christians was to persecute them, was to kill them. The more we kill them, the more it spreads. We've got to find a new way. We have to find a way to, how do we put that, to ruin their witness. Because if we just keep killing them, people are going to know there's something to it. It's just going to spread like wildfire. We've got to find a way to trick them into being less faithful. We've got to find a way to bribe them. What's funny is that he was, he was one of the most successful Caesars at persecuting the church because he was able to bribe the church. Interesting. Having fun yet? Amen. So, what should we say? It's a little bit harsh, okay, but stay with me on this one. Here's what I argue we should say. I am blessed and depressed. Now, when I say this, I don't just mean the mental condition. Okay, There are some of us who are actually dealing with it, and it's a serious thing. What I'm saying in this ism is this, that we should be people who can, who can both be people who are able to enjoy the blessings of God and also acknowledge the brokenness and evil of this world. We are people who, who are able to hold both and say, you know what, yes, I am blessed by God. God is at work in my life doing great, amazing things, but I'm also faithful to God to be here in this broken, fallen world to be a light for Him. And while I'm here, by the way, it's imperfect, and it's, it's ugly, and it's nasty, and there's pain, and there's sickness, and there's death, and I'm, and I'm in this. And there's poverty, and there's violence. And, and the whole thing that makes my life special is that I get to be someone who stands in the middle of darkness and says, there is hope. I'm not someone who goes, look what happens when you're Christian. Too blessed to be depressed. Sorry about you, sucker. You got the formula wrong. (laughs) We have to be careful. When Christianity begins to sound like a late-night infomercial, you've been missing this knife your whole life. If you had this knife, you could just cut everything. You'd be happy. You wouldn't be sick. You'd lose weight. You'd get a raise at work. If you just had this knife, you could just cut everything, and your life would fall right into the right place. See, the message of the gospel is a message of hope. See, Christians, we are not people only of the now. We are people of the future. Meaning we are not people who say, hey, receive Christ and have everything perfect now. We're people who say, receive Christ and have the promise of a life with no end, where everything is made perfect. We're not people who say, hey, come live in the kingdom where everything right here is broken and jacked up. We say the promise as Christians is is that beyond this life is another life where God is king, he is Lord, and everything is perfect. And he is coming to this one to fix it, but it's not fixed yet. The church isn't even fixed yet. We're not even all right yet. The church is still a broken mess. That's okay for right now. See, the entire point of the gospel we bring is that we have a God who was incarnate in flesh, who came to be in the nasty, ugly brokenness of the world, and a God who was resurrected, meaning a God who can take us beyond the brokenness of this world. And the reason we're Christians is because we hope, meaning to hope is to, to look forward to something what you do not have yet. 
The problem with most families who leave the church is because they were told everything that you want in Christ happens right now. Christians are people of waiting, people of hoping. What we bring to the world is not a fix. It's not an instant cure to everything. What we bring is hope. What we offer is to suffer with them, to wait with them, to be present with them, to care for them, to love them as we wait, the one who can fix everything. And in the in-between, in the in-between between him coming and this world being broken, there are these things that happen that we call miraculous, supernatural things. Things are not ordinary. Where God's reality does break in. There are times when God breaks into the current situation, but we call that a miracle. Supernatural. It's extraordinary, meaning we don't expect it all the time. But there are times when God breaks in to heal someone's body, to, to, to bring finances, you know, to, to overcome an obstacle or an issue, to bring safety and protection. But this is what God does sometimes. The whole point of being a Christian is staying faithful to the end because we don't always know what's going to happen. And we don't even really have good answers for why. The entire book of Revelation is telling people you're going to suffer, but hold on. What's on the other side is worth far more than what's on this side. Hold on. And so what I say to us is that we should be people who say, I'm blessed, and I think today I am a little bit depressed. And you should be able to say that. One of the worst things about the church that we have to make an effort to fix is that we tend to be the worst place for sick people. Did you hear me? We tend to be the worst place for sick people. Because we, we're all sick, but we learn to walk around looking all nice and healthy. Can I call you out, Keith Bell? I love you, brother. Please, please. He's like, what are you going to say? Keith Bell is so much like me in this way. He's in the hospital. He's been through things that most people could never imagine. And the next day, he has his gown on, but he's got his clothes on like he's going golfing over it. Just had a surgery. He has his hat on. He has his shorts on. He got his shoes on. He's ready to go. And everyone who sees him goes, is he even in the hospital? Now that's a good example. But the bad example is for us as Christians, what the only thing we learn to do as Christians is to look healthy, not to be healthy. And so we come to churches that teach us how to put our golfing clothes on when we should be in the bed Allowing ourselves to be sick, allowing people to care for us, allowing ourselves to be available for God and the church to do work. And that all starts with us as a church understanding that we need to embrace the broken parts of our lives and of ourselves. The church should be the safest place for someone who's broken, someone who's depressed, someone who's confused, someone who's struggling, someone who's lost. This should be the safest, most warm environment for them. This should be where they come to. When Jesus came, he made the point very clearly. He said, I did not come for the healthy. I came for the sick. And this is exactly the same mission we have as a church. We should be the first place. And that's why this ism while it has really good things in it. And there are places where God will bless our finances and our marriages and our relationships and all these other things. Those are good things that we get to enjoy. But that cannot be the message we throw on people. We have to be people who are able to, to showcase and embrace the love and blessings of God, but also willing to embrace 
and acknowledge the ugliness and brokenness of this life and this world. If we don't embrace the ugliness, we have no real message for them. Because guess what? There are other ways to be successful in this world. Work hard. Be talented. Be attractive. Have opportunity. I want you to understand this. Some of the richest people I know are not Christian and they're not good people. How about you? I do know Christians who are very successful and have lots of money and are, and are very blessed, and God was involved in that. But guess what? I know ones who weren't too. I know people who got to where they are by backstabbing, by lying, by cheating. There are other ways to be blessed in this life, if that's what you think blessing is. The promise of Christianity is that we have what is really the hope, what is really the goal, and that is a life with no end. And in this world where God, where Jesus is fully king, every single thing is made right and perfect. There is no loss, there's no mourning, no sickness, there's no evil, there's no death. And this is the hope. And this is the reason we have a message that matters to the world. is because we can come into the ugliest and say, there is hope. We're not people who come into the ugliest and say, oh, sorry, Sorry, not sorry. Too blessed to care about what you're going through. I'm too blessed to be able to relate to what you're going through. I've never suffered. I'm blessed right now. Everything's perfect in my life. <laughs> We're people who say, yes, God is with me, and He's real, and He's loving, He's at work in my life. But guess what? I am messed up too. I am struggling. I am hurting just like you. That's what we have to offer the world. Would you stand with me?